You are now listening to Men of March, presented by StudentUnionSports.com. Welcome back to the Men of March podcast. We have a lot to talk about, Nate. First and second round of the NCAA tournament. It did not disappoint. Plus coaching hires of just college basketball doesn't sleep in the um, month of March and neither do we. That's right. Uh, First thing we got to talk about besides just an awesome tournament weekend from an awesome tournament weekend is uh, the St. Peter's Peacocks. I don't know if anyone could see this team doing what they did this weekend, upsetting Kentucky, pretty much controlling that whole game against Murray State. Shaheen Holloway, what a job. What a job. Yeah, I I didn't get to see most of the Kentucky game, but I was just really impressed with what they did against Murray State. Murray State was the team, came in 31-2. and They were riding high. I, I fully expected Matt McMahon's team to come out and handle St. Peter's on Saturday night, and they controlled the game from pretty much start to finish. Really, really impressive performance. Murray State cut it to within two a couple times, or two or three, but, you know, every time Murray State made a run, St. Peter's had a run right back for them. Yeah, and and then winning that Kentucky game in overtime, too, like, a lot of times when you see the better, the overtime is usually not the underdog's best friend, especially an 18-point underdog, and St. Peter's, they won that won that game by six points. Man, they're just Darrell Banks had led the way with 27, was five away from three, shot 50% from three as a team. They and they survived the 30 and 16 point game from Oscar Shibway and a really talented Kentucky team. Just they go really deep. This was a 15 seed that really wasn't on anyone's radar. At least last year, um, Oral Roberts said Max A. Smith. Like, there's a couple people who thought that team could be dangerous. But with St. Peter's, to win two games in the tournament, great job for them. Yeah, even more impressive than that Kentucky game. Uh, Casey and Defo, their starting center, he's only 6'6", but he's our starting center. He's the NAAC Defensive Player of the Year. He only put 90 seconds in the first half. You can like take one of your best players and put him on the bench for 18 and a half minutes and still go into the locker room tied with Kentucky. And that was a, it was shocking when I saw the box score. I mean, not that it was shocking that they won, obviously, but when you saw the box score and you saw that he only had two minutes played in the first half, it was like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah, Thursday, it, there's a lot of crazy action. Uh, one of the biggest, second biggest episodes of the day, someone on the podcast called. Wasn't a surprise to us, the Richmond Spiders being uh, the dark horse pick or the chalky dark horse pick, the Iowa Hawkeyes, the Iowa Hawkeyes to, get to make it out of the Midwest region. They didn't make it out of the first round, Nate. You listen to the Men of March podcast, sometimes you can make some money. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, we saw everything that Richmond does well in that game against Iowa. They're old, they're experienced. Every time Iowa made a run, they were up eight, I think, with about five minutes left. And Keegan Murray started asserting himself a lot. And they, Richmond did what old teams are supposed to do in the NCAA tournament. They didn't fold. They didn't turn the ball over. It helps to have a fifth-year point guard like Jacob Gilliard, who's just an awesome player. But, you know, they didn't miss free throws. They didn't, make stu- didn't commit stupid fouls. They were just – it was a very clean last five minutes played by the Richmond Spiders. And we had New Mexico State on Thursday. Teddy Allen, what a performance. Uh, Chris Jans, who got the job at Mississippi State now. New Mexico State had lost 12 straight first-round NCAA tournament games going into that game. So just getting a win there was absolutely huge for them. A lot of New Mexico State fans traveled to Buffalo. It's pretty crazy. That's a long trek. But Teddy Allen, 37 points against UConn was uh, the most sensational performance in the first round, in my opinion. Would 100% agree with that. Uh, Moving forward to just covering the upsets, we're going to just kind of go around the tournament here. What was your biggest takeaway from the first weekend? Just from the first weekend overall, I think 
have we really discounted just like Villanova? This is a team that we haven't really t- talked. I know they beat Ohio State and Kyle Young got hurt, but we really see experience and guard play take over in this tournament. And it was evident with Colin Gillespie, North Carolina, North, I mean, not with Villanova, and also with North Carolina, Remy Davis, Caleb Love, how they're getting hot as well. So a lot of good guard play carrying teams. I, Villanova was just very clinical against Ohio State. They never were really running them out of the gym. I don't think the lead ever got bigger than like 12 or 13, but it was always like, okay, Ohio State cut it to two. Villanova's going to go score. Every time they needed a bucket, Justin Moore, Colin Gillespie went and got a bucket. Jermaine Samuels was really good too in that game. That was a really fun basketball game to watch. The biggest takeaway for me is I thought the SEC was going to be awesome in this tournament. I thought they were they were so good the whole year. At least those top six teams, you know, Bama was like up and down, obviously, but they showed a very high ceiling, as we know. Kentucky losing in the first round. Tennessee losing to Michigan. Auburn getting the doors blown off by Miami. Arkansas surviving and advancing. And Bama getting blown out by Notre Dame. And then Kentucky losing to St. Peter's. I mean, the SEC was, it felt like at the top this whole season that the SEC was the best league in the country. And I feel like a lot of brackets, people with brackets picked it that way. And it just has not been good. They were horrible in the first weekend of the tournament. And it was just teams that just didn't show up too, like Auburn yesterday. Auburn, Auburn looked like the most, that was the, that was, they were so flat. I couldn't believe that performance from them. I don't think I've seen a top, we've seen teams get upset, you know, but that, I think that's the flattest we've seen a top seed team since Virginia lost to UMBC. And that was just UMBC kind of went crazy there. But yeah, it's just Jabari Smith didn't look like he wanted to be on the floor. Walker Kessler got two fouls in two minutes. Wendell Green was horrible. Katie Johnson was the only guy that was playing with effort. He was erratic, too. So it was just nobody on that team had a good game. And I think Bruce – I don't know. I feel like Bruce Pearls is getting a pass for that performance. I kind of agree with that. There was never a response. Like, Auburn, when they were healthy, went 9, 10 deep the whole season. I, I don't know. I don't know. They just got destroyed. And credit to Miami, too, obviously. We're not talking about them right now enough, I don't think, with what they did with their backcourt with Charlie Moore, Cameron Mugusty, and Isaiah Wong. They were phenomenal against Auburn. But just it was bad. It was a horrible performance from the Tigers. We got to see Jim Laranega dance, though. So that was a blast. He's gonna, he can make another two more wins from his uh, – think his – First Final Four since that George Mason run? Yep. This is his fourth Sweet 16 at Miami. Uh, very impressive coaching job from them. I feel like there was a lot of people that – I they obviously beat Boston College in the ACC tournament in overtime. If they lose that game, I mean, they're a 10 seed, so I guess they were safe. But if they lose that Thursday quarterfinal, are they in the tournament? I, I, maybe. Yeah. Exactly. It's a maybe. So to go from that to – uh being in the Sweet 16, and with the chance to move to the Elite Eight, a very good chance. I think they're going to be favorites over Iowa State. Uh, very, very impressive. Another team I was really impressed with uh, was just the Houston Cougars just taking over. They just dominated UAB, made uh, Jordan Walker, who's one of the best mid-major guards in the country, just uncomfortable all night. And that big game was never in, really never in doubt. They cruised to a 14-point victory. I had this uh, second half, UAB second half, and Taz Moore's three at the end and kind of killed my soul. But saw Houston there. And then Houston just bowling Illinois. Their guards did not have an answer for the Houston pressure. Taz Moore had 21. Tyler Edwards had 15. Held Houston the 24% from three, 34% from the field. Cockburn got his, but if you take away Cockburn, Cock, Cockburn's performance, like Illinois probably shot like 22%. Just absolutely bullied everyone else. And I think they're going to give Arizona fits. If Arizona doesn't rebound, if Arizona 
plays on the defensive glass like they did against TCU, Houston's going to win that, that game by 15. Because Houston, like the first thing you notice about them, you can watch them for five minutes. Doesn't matter who they're playing. Uh, it hasn't this season. Doesn't matter who they're playing, where they're playing. Houston bullies people on the offensive glass. And this has been a thing for a while under Kelvin Sampson. But just like they are so relentless. It's guards, it's bigs. They're relentless getting offensive rebounds. And if Arizona doesn't put bodies on man on people, uh, I think they're going to lose. I'm kind of – I I think Arizona is a more talented team. I think everyone – a lot of people think Arizona is a more talented team. But Houston can definitely beat them if Arizona shows up, and they can beat them by 15. Uh, next thing I want to talk about, individual performances. Mid-majors, power conferences, doesn't matter, Austin. Give me your guy that looked the best to you. Looked the best. I was at uh, the San Diego Regional all day, all day uh, Friday, and the guy that really impressed me just uh, just uh, as far as like out of the blue performance, we kind of see those guys as to perform in March. Just in talking about that one game and Cormac Ryan, how he just scored seven and nine from three, ten and thirteenth in the field, and just. Eight Alabama and NATO to alive. I saw the Javon corner early injury early, so that's kind of that kind of sucked. That put a damper on it. But having the guy that wasn't really starting till probably February March, was again in consistent minutes, had to fight his way back in the rotation late and just score twenty nine points in a game in March. I thought I thought that was pretty awesome. All right, we're going to go some, from someone, for me, from someone who is totally off the radar as far as college basketball goes for the most part in Cormac Ryan to a top five prospect. Paolo Bancaro's performance against Michigan State was so good. He is so good. I think people are underrating him as a basketball player uh, this whole season and just like in the draft class as a whole. Starting to see people mock draft him at like four. I think he may not have the highest ceiling. Definitely Chet and Jabari have the highest ceiling. But I think if Paolo walks into the NBA tomorrow, he's averaging like 15 and 8. He is that talented on the offensive end. He was great against Michigan State passing the ball. He made that Duke offense go. He didn't really make the run help make the run at the end that Duke had that put them over the top of Michigan State. But in the first half, he was awesome. He had four assists. All of the passes were really pretty. Knocked down a couple threes. Showed off the mid-range game, got to the basket. Uh, and then he had the same thing against Cal State Fullerton, which is what you expect him to do. But to see him do it against Michigan State in the deep front court that they have was uh, – it was very impressive. And talking about another guy in the Big Ten, we all talk about – we've been talking about the Zach Edes of the world. But how about Hunter Dickinson from Michigan? Had 27 points, 8 of 13 shooting against Tennessee and really led that comeback against Colorado State in the first round where he had 21 and six. He's been just a consistent – he's at, I had over 20 points and 20 points in four of his last five and six out of his last – or seven out of his last ten. And we're just not – I don't know if we're appreciating Hunter Dixon, Dickinson enough and what he's doing for this Wolverines team in March. I 100% agree with that. While Michigan kind of spiraled this whole season, it felt like he's still like there. Like everyone wanted to see him make the leap and probably being honest, he's still probably not athletic enough to play in the NBA uh, consistently, but people wanted to see if he could develop a jump shot. I think he's made, I'll check his Ken Palm stats right now. He's made 21 three-pointers this season. He made zero last year. And it feels like that number has jumped as we've gotten later into the season. We've wanted to see him become a better passer and pass out of double teams, averaging like three assists a game. You can't really stop him anymore when it comes to the flow of the Michigan offense. So I agree with you. He's been wildly, wildly impressive. Then anyone in the mid-rate major ranks have, have jumped up on your radar this, this weekend? Individually or team yeah. performance? Individually or both. You mentioned Teddy Allen. Uh, one of he's an all he's a great player. He's a super fun player. He's an all time chucker. You talked about that earlier. Uh, you've talked about it numerous times this season. He's an all time chucker. He's awesome. Uh, love watching that guy play basketball. 
Chris Shan said no. a great, great quote. He says after the Yukon game, he's a he's a bad shot taker, but he's a better bad shot. But he's a no. How was it? It was he's a bad shot taker, but damn, he's a bad shot maker. <laughs> like he just he smelt death. He smelt fear and just took Yukon's soul away. Yeah, he was awesome. Uh, but I'm going to go for more of a conference than a team. The Mountain West, uh, we love the Mountain West this season. Loves them. One of the, more, one of the most entertaining, if not the most entertaining conference in college basketball, if you really followed the sport. The tight race at the top, great depth in the league. Horrible NCAA tournament. Horrible NCAA tournament, man. And a loss for Austin's pocketbook, too. Uh, that, that, that happens. Uh, yeah. We had Memphis running Boise State off the court. Colorado State obviously blew the 15-point lead. They kind of got screwed with a draw against a tough Michigan team. That was a tough matchup for them. Uh, they were underdogs. You couldn't have necessarily been shocked by that. But uh, Wyoming losing to Indiana in the way that they did. And San Diego State, man. San Diego State. <laughs> I think I, I only got to listen to the last seven minutes or the last two minutes. I think you would have been – like gouging your eyes out if you watch the last seven, like the last five minutes of that game. But it blows my mind every, especially in March, because teams are just being so desperate and then they know it's a winner go home scenario. It blows my mind how 22 year old college basketball players still can't handle a full court press. It's insane to me. And when I was in fifth grade, my team couldn't handle a full court press. That's fine. 22 year old basketball players. Oh, it's uh, it's hilarious. People can't inbound the ball. You go throw it right to the corner. It's like, well, that looked like a turnover. Uh, but yeah, the Mountain West stood out in a very negative way. And I, and I think it's going to hurt the perception of the league going into next year with this. Just the accomplishment of having getting four teams in and none of them winning is just kind of sucks. I agree with that. And it's really unfortunate because like I said a couple minutes ago, it was one of the best leagues to follow in the country Four at large bids. I think they had two more teams in the NIT, two or three more teams, a uh, really good basketball league. And they just did not pull through in March. And it was really unfortunate to see. Best individual game you saw this weekend. Uh, performance or just like game. game like in entertainment and the entertainment was. I know you're going to say Arizona TCU, so I'll just nah. – I'll, I'll say North Carolina Baylor. I was actually uh, going to say Murray oh, State you're... San Francisco on Thursday. Oh, wow. oh I guess I kind of forgot about the round of thir- – I don't, I don't know why I forgot about the first round. I wasn't really uh, Arizona TCU, if we're going recency bias, Arizona TCU, just the way TCU came back, TCU has been kind of like one of my teams. I love Mike Miles. I saw them against Seton Hall. Um, I'm disappointed I didn't stay later for that game and just drove at midnight. It would have been worth it. But Murray State, San Francisco at the end there, it just seemed like everyone was hitting big shot after big shot. And it was a kind of a shame that everyone had to lose. Like Bouye's three to tie it to send in the overtime. And then guys like... And guys like KJ Williams making dozens of plays down the stretch. He had a couple and ones in overtime. Tevin Brown had a big shot. So, like we said, two stud mid-major teams. Sad one of them had to lose, but Murray State moved on and then ended up losing to St. Peter's. Couldn't get back to the Sweet 16. So, that yeah. was a wildly entertaining game for sure. I think you said. I think it was Matt Norlander who tweeted it, where he was like. It sucks that Murray State and San Francisco had to play each other, but it was the greatest mistake the committee ever made. Because, like, it felt like that game, like, going in, it was a late-night tip. It just felt like that was going to be an awesome basketball game. And it lived up to all – and it surpassed all expectations. It was big shots, big plays, went to overtime. It was so good. But just going to the Baylor-North Carolina game, oh, boy. I can't believe North Carolina won that game in overtime. Without – um. Brady Manic. Yeah, without Manic, yeah. and then someone else fouled out. Caleb Love fouled out too, right? Yeah, Caleb Love. But he was playing bad, but still he was Caleb Davis. Like, that what the hell was he doing? I mean, at the time they were up like 17 <sighs> points with seven minutes left. And 
your point guard is out there with four fouls. What are you doing? I understand that he's their lead ball handler and they're not a very deep team. So, you know, it's explainable to a degree, but like still you're 17. RJ Davis has shown himself to be more than a competent lead guard in the last three weeks, four weeks, the developments he's made have been awesome. What the hell was Caleb Love doing in the game when they were up 15 with seven minutes left? Yeah. It was a bad day for James Akinzo, Akinjo to lose his drop, jump shot too. Yeah, but that was just an awesome game. Great result from Baylor to tie it back from being 24 down or whatever it was. Uh, obviously a huge momentum swing when Brady Manick got thrown out for – it was questionable, but he elbowed the guy in the face, so – don't elbow guy in, a guy in the face and you won't get thrown out of a game. So, uh, but yeah, good on North Carolina. That was my, I think that was my favorite game of the weekend. Damn. Texas Tech. I think the one of the most impressive teams I saw this weekend was Texas Tech. Washington them against Montana State and then have them grind out that win against Notre Dame. Just the way Mark Adams, that Texas Tech team plays, they, they defend you all the way down the court. They contest every pass. They contest every space. They contest every cut. They contest every shot. And and just watching them play defense. And then against Montana State at halftime, they shot 70% from three and 69% from the free throw line at halftime. So when they're they're able to make open jump shots, they seem unbeatable. They They didn't shoot as well against a better competition, a better Notre Dame team. But they found a way, grinded out, grinded out the win. I don't know what I was thinking, but I had Montana State plus 18 in that game. And it was one of those that you could see, like, at the end, at, like, the under-12 timeout where it was like, yep, better count that one as a loss. So, uh, any other big things that you have from the first weekend? The referees, man. The referees uh, were tough. Tough technical foul on The technical foul on RJ Melendez in the Illinois game was the worst technical foul I've ever seen. Like the, the Purdue, worst thing I've ever seen. Like the Purdue Texas game was pretty bad. Like defend without fouling, but like Purdue had forty six free throws, pretty ridiculous. And then Texas shot thirty threes. I mean, they weren't. It was like Texas was staying in that game with jump shots. It wasn't like they were really going to the basket. But it was just, I don't know. Maybe it's because I was unbiased and I had Texas. And then Jaden Ivey. Oh, it was infuriating to watch. I don't disagree with you there. It was infuriating. But... Jaden Ivey's three at the end there, it not only destroyed Texas, but it also destroyed my under on him and my prize pick, which cost me a prize pick parlay there. But Jaden Ivey, he's that dude. I think he has a lot of John Moran in him and – there's so many good, talented guys in college basketball this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if Jaden Ivey was the best in the class. Yeah, that three that he hit, the kind of dagger that he put into Texas where he crossed over Courtney Ramey, who's been one of the best on-ball defenders in the country this year. Uh, he just shook the shit out of him and then made that three from, like, 25 feet out. He was really impressive. I agree with that. Uh Let's move on to the second round. Let's move on to the second weekend a little bit, yeah? Yeah, Sweet 16, man. Give me your three favorite games right off the bat. Let's get it started. UCLA, North Carolina, two Blue Bloods. North Carolina's playing just as good as anyone. UCLA, they seem to figure it out. We don't know how healthy Jaime Hawkins is going to be. Right now, the spread is indicating that he's not. UCLA is only a two-point favorite, but just kind of love that game. I like Gonzaga, Arkansas, two teams I like to run, very athletic. This kind of reminds me, the last time Gonzaga played like a team like this, they lost to Alabama. They struggled with – they lost to Duke. Although Arkansas is not as talented as Duke, they're probably better than Alabama. So in San Francisco, Eric Musselman's hometown, where he grew up in, Interesting game. The rematch of the 2018 National Championship, Villanova, Mich- Villanova, Michigan. And then, of course, Houston, Arizona. And 
we're going to see, I think we're going to see Coach K's last game on Thursday. Yeah, my three favorite are, hmm, I'll agree with you on North Carolina, UCLA. Like you said, two blue bloods. That game's going to be watched by everyone who has even ever watched college basketball and has a slight interest in the NCAA tournament. That's uh, just an awesome, awesome ratings game for CBS on Friday night. And I think it's the last tip. So that's just really cool to see. Uh, we'll be cheering on the Bruins here. The next one, Villanova and Michigan. Michigan looked like they turned a corner. I think Michigan, like Villanova isn't big. They're just very guard dominant, super disciplined. I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan won by double digits. I don't think it's going to happen. But if you told me that Michigan won like 85-70 and Hunter Dickinson had 30 points and Musa Diabate played one of those, like he's shown glimpses of it this season. And he just kind of found a game where he put it all together. This is a lot of ifs, it's a lot of ifs. Uh, and he found a game where he put it all together and had like 15 and 10. I think their front line could could definitely overwhelm Villanova. I was going to say easily, but easily seemed like a stretch. And then I think the emergence of Frankie Collins in the backcourt. Uh, he's been incredible in the NCAA tournament. He was really good against Colorado State. Devontae Jones came back for the round of 32 game. But Frankie Collins played more minutes. He was the better player. And if Devontae Jones is healthy, Eli Brooks is Eli Brooks. And Caleb Houston knocks down some shots. I mean, Michigan absolutely has the talent to beat Villanova. I think I'm slowly talking myself into picking Michigan on the money line, which is probably a horrible decision. Five point underdogs, I would be like plus one ninety. Give me that. Then what? what yeah, one more. Ah, I talked a lot. I went, went on a nice rant about Michigan. Uh, Coach K's potential last game. I think uh, Mark Adams is going to come up with something defensively to kind of shut down that Duke team and get them a little flustered. Yeah. It'll be a really interesting, like it'll be a really interesting, just tactical matchup. It's a, it's a, they're the complete opposite. Duke is athletic and not tactical. They're free flowing. They get the rebound. They run. They have four first round picks. Well, Texas tech is just a bunch of guys that are overlooked, grinded out dudes. Yeah. And another question for you. If you had to pick one individual player this weekend in the Sweet 16 to step up, who are you going to take that their team like needs? So under the radar or like under the, it can be a star. It can be under the radar. It can be, this question is up for interpretation. I would probably see. And if you say my guy that I was thinking about, I'm going to be bad. Uh, um, if it's, I think it has to be if, if, uh, Jaime Hawkins isn't able to go. I think it has to be Jules Bernard from UCLA. Is that the guy? That wasn't the guy. And I'm kind of like, just, all right, explain to me why it's Jules Bernard. Because Jules Bernard, he's the guy. He spaces the floor. He makes his offense go. He's, he's the second clutch shot maker. He's going to be the guy that's probably going to be on Davis uh, for North Carolina. He spaces the floor. When you when he's going, you UCLA's offense is a hundred percent different. They're way more explosive. He's a leader on the team. He's a senior, and I think you I think UCLA needs if if Jaime Hawkins can't go, like Jules Bernard is going to have to step up. Uh, mine is Jalen Williams from Arkansas. That matchup, he's going to have his hands full in the matchup with Gonzaga's front court, obviously with Chet and Drew Timmy. But Jalen Williams has been awesome defensively this year. He leads the country in charges drawn. Average is 14 and 10. If he can stay out of foul trouble, kind of similar. He's kind of playing that similar, similar role that Justin Smith played last year for the Hogs. If he can stay out of foul trouble, control the glass, and play limit, not dominate, but limit Gonzaga's front court, Arkansas definitely has just an exponentially better chance of beating uh, the Bulldogs on was that Thursday night? I believe. I think that's the first tip. Of first the tip on Thursday. Yep. I think uh, Jalen Jalen Williams is going to be the difference between Arkansas getting run out of the gym and Arkansas keeping it close and it being a one possession game with five minutes to go. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think you're right about Jalen Williams. I also think Chris Likes is a guy in that game that needs to have a awesome game because for Arkansas to 
compete with Gonzaga, they can't miss a lot of shots like they normally do. If they have JD Note will almost certainly have something to say about that. <laughs> like Chris likes JD Note, Stanley and Moody. They need one of those guys. Note's gonna I think Note's Note's gonna show up, but they need one another one of those guards, whether it's Tony, whether it's a Moody, whether it's lights to step up and provide a scoring option. So you're saying that five for 18 from JD Note is not gonna get the job done. No. Okay, just make sure I got the job done against New Mexico State. Yeah, I think a good zag is just a little bit better. Would have to agree with you there. All right, let's pick the games in the Sweet 16. All right, well, we'll pick everyone. So Gonzaga minus nine against Arkansas. Who do you have? Uh, Gonzaga to cover. I think Gonzaga covers too. I think they win by 15-18. Michigan. Uh, go ahead, sorry. Michigan and Villanova or Michigan. Are you sticking uh, with Michigan? I'll, I'll stick with Michigan, yeah. Let's have some fun. Let's get a double-digit seed in the Elite Eight. Well, we're going to have one at least, but give me that one. Man, I think you might have convinced me there. Uh, I was gonna think it, wor- it, worked, it worked with Richmond. It worked with Richmond, but I think we might – I think I'm going to go ride with Michigan there. I took Ohio State against Villanova, and it was pretty painful. But <laughs> Hunter Dickinson – when you have a big, big event against Villanova, I don't think they're going to have an answer for him. So, like, The thing about Ohio State was their pros showed up. Malachi Branham and EJ Liddell played very good basketball games. I think Michigan has pros. Hunter Dickinson, like, what? is he a pro-caliber defender? No. But is he a pro-caliber guy on the offensive end? Absolutely. Most of Diabate is going to play in the NBA. Where's, the, where's that game being played at? That's the South or San Antonio. So, oh, so I feel like Michigan has way more of a national crowd. Yeah, because there are still a lot of Notre Dame fans in San Diego. There's a lot. Like, they do love telling us to go Big Blue. So, yeah, I feel like Michigan has more of a national fan base. Yeah, I'll take Michigan there. Then I love Texas Tech against Duke. I think that's my favorite bet of the week. Minus one? Yeah, minus one. Really want Duke to win. I want Duke to lose to Gonzaga. I want it to be like Coach K is going to the Final Four. This is it? Nope. <laughs> but I kind of uh, I agree with you. I think Texas Tech is going to be able to rattle Duke's young guards and overwhelm them a little bit on the defensive end. And I think they win like a 65-61 kind of game. And so my I'll hot, agree with you there. And hot, my hot take: Houston by double digits against Arizona. By double digits. It could happen. Absolutely could happen. I think I think there people don't realize how good Houston's guards are, and people don't realize how overrated Krista is. And oh. I know Arizona has multiple ball handlers and they can run and that pressure could totally be Houston's demise. Like that can lead to Arizona easy baskets, but I don't think it is. I think it's gonna bother Arizona. If Kerr is – like, Kerr was a plus 26 last night in 24 minutes. He shot one of 10 from the field. If he makes two more of those shots, he's a plus 30. That is – like, for as bad as he played, that is a wild stat. And, you know, another week of him getting healthy. He's still their lead ball handler. Benedict Matherin is going to be the most talented guy on the court. I can't go away from Arizona. Not now. Not now. I think they had their coming-of-age-ish performance. Like you said, some help from the referees. He hit a big shot, multiple big shots. Coloco played big. They need Azulis Tubelis to play well. He wasn't on the court at the end of the game. He was terrible against DCU. But I think Arizona is going to win that game. And the St. Peter's, does their Cinderella run continue? Or do they at least cover? It's 12 and a half, right? 12 and a half. Are you even fun if you take Purdue to cover? Are you fun? <laughs> I know you're going to do it. You think the run ends here? I don't know, man. I'm I'm a mid major guy. So we are mid major guys. I, I the Purdue twelve and a half. Twelve and a half is a lot. If this game was in the Purdue face St. Peter's in the first round, the spread would have been like 18, 16. Yep. So you're getting you are getting Purdue at a discount. I agree. With, that's definitely true. 
but I don't know, man. I so I said the first podcast Purdue was a Final Four team, but I've kind of shit on them since then. So I, I really thought Texas was going to beat them. I'm pretty pissed off about that one. I love I, thought, the, I love the mascots though. Though they have the best mascot in the tournament though. Purdue Pete. <laughs> no, they don't have the best mascot. We're going to get to the best mascot in about five minutes. Or the best uh, team named the Peacocks, bro. Oh yeah. Peacocks. Those are better. They're, they're, the Peacocks are great. Come on. The Peacocks man. are great. You're not wrong about that. I'll agree with you there. But give me the Peacocks plus 12 and a half. I'm going to really put money on that. And Purdue's going to be up 30 to 5 at the under 8 timeout. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I, I would really want to see St. Peter's win that game. I think that'd be awesome. But Purdue is, probably rolls. Is this going to be a thing moving forward? Do you think, like, this is obviously back-to-back years with a 15 seed in the Elite Eight. Do we think this is an anomaly, or do we think the transfer portal is actually just like helping teams get that much better in a mid-major in a mid-major sense? Like, can this be a thing like every other year, every three years? Also, I think just I don't know if it's going to be a thing. I think it's just we've had like kind of two lucky runs. St. Peter, it, it really depends on the second round game, too, because or Roberts got like an okay, the eh, Florida team, and St. Peter's ran into another mid major in Murray State. So that's, yeah, it's a little bit of luck, a little bit, it's a transfer portal. And then two, and Shaheen Holloway is a hell of a coach. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, like, it is taken special circumstances. We had the leading score in the country plus a high major transfer impact player in Kevin O'Banner and a good coach in Paul Mills. And then you have an experienced team like St. Peter's with a very good coach in Shaheen Holloway. So it is a special circumstance, but it's an interesting thought, I think. Then the frauds versus the frauds. Kansas versus Providence. I hate both. Now this is the best mascot in the tournament. Don't you love the Friar? <laughs> the Friar? The I love the Friar. This, awesome. this is the best sign the I hate Ken Palm game. This is the best. This is the best I hate Ken Palm game. Did you see his tweet yesterday? For Ken Palm? After, yeah, after Houston blew the doors off Illinois. Oh, what did he say? He said something like, because obviously, if anyone's been following Ken Palm this season, it's Houston, uh, like the best. Houston's yeah. been a top five team in Ken Palm the whole year. And yesterday he tweeted, Houston won one quad game. Illinois won one quad one game. Illinois won six quad one games. I can't believe this is happening. And that was just like, I loved it so much. It was so great. But, yeah, this is Ken Palm hates both these teams. So, Kansas, Providence, who has the edge? What do you see? Are we really going to go against the Friars plus seven and a half? They've been a covering machine. They rolled Richmond. That was, I mean, like just under the radar wise, I think it got kind of caught up in the Saturday night games, but oof, they have put a hurting on the spiders. I like Providence to cover seven and a half. I haven't been able to pick a favorite right all game, so I'll take the dog. boy. There you go. And UCLA, North Carolina, our favorite game. All right. We- I think everyone knows. We're rolling with the Bruins. We are rolling with the Bruins. Jaime Yakez, no Jaime Yakez. Although North Carolina, what Hubert Davis has done in the last half the year, beating Duke in the last regular season game, and a lot of people had their doubts about him, but then getting to the Sweet 16 in year one is huge for him. I agree with that. It's been a, It's turned into an excellent season for Hubert Davis in his first year. The only thing Carolina is due for a stinker. Just a, I mean, they rolled Marquette. They were dominating Baylor before Brady Manick got thrown out of the game. Don't we think they're just due for like a North Carolina game? A North Carolina, uh, double, a 20 point loss to Pitt type of game. Don't we think we're due for one of those? I think we're due. I, but... hope, I, mean, I hope it's a good game, but feels UCLA is not UCLA. Mick Cronin has become a tournament mastermind. He doesn't choke in the tournament anymore. As a Bruins, I also think UCLA is just a more disciplined team. And I think that's what it's going to come down to at the end. I think they have a Miles Johnson who can bother Armando Baycott. I think Tiger Campbell can play with Caleb Love. 
I think they match up well with Arizona. And then if Jaime comes back, not Arizona, North Carolina. And they're deeper with Jalen Clark, Peyton Watson. I mean, those are just like, I don't think we really thought about it a lot during the regular season because obviously UCLA kind of unperformed, underperformed due to preseason expectations within just like the regular season in a four seed was kind of just like not what we thought they were going to be. Who brings two guys as athletic off the bench as Jalen Clark and Peyton Watson? Those guys are game changers. So I, I like the Bruins. I think they pull away in like the under 12 timeout and end up winning by double digits. And uh, we're going to have a double digit seed in the Elite Eight. Miami. We're going to have two. Forgot Michigan. Forgot Michigan. We're guaranteed one. There but you go. Miami, better, better Iowa work. State. Um, I, I want to see how many times has this happened? I saw, I saw a tweet. I think this was the fourth. I think I saw fourth. At a 10 and 11 seed meeting the Sweet 16. Yes. This is the fourth. This is the fourth time. And two I of saw those, that somewhere. And then two of those times, um, the team made the final four. So VCU played Florida State in 2011. VCU made the final four, beat Florida State. Then in 2014, Dayton Stanford uh, played Dayton. That was Archie. And then, and then Florida crushed them in the Elite Eight. And then Syracuse versus Gonzaga. That's that was just a bonus Kyle Wilshire Gonzaga team. And that was the Malachi Richardson Syracuse team, if I remember correctly, in 2016, right? That was. That was the Mal uh, do you listen to the game three po- theory podcast? No. They've coined it's a NBA draft, college basketball, pro basketball to kind of mesh with the three things. And for pre-draft season, if anyone explodes in the NCAA tournament to become a first round pick, they've coined it the Malachi effect. And I think that is hilarious. The Malachi Richardson. He wasn't for a first-round pick going into the tournament? No. That year? No? No. But uh, that was a hell of a run. But yeah. But Syracuse made it to the Final Four after winning that game. What can we see here? Jim Laranega versus TJ Olsenberger. If you told me TJ Olsenberger was going to make it to a Sweet 16 like three years ago, I wouldn't believe you. And what he's done with Iowa State's been pretty pretty nuts. Iowa State got, you know, credit to him. Iowa State got the fraud run of the Sweet 16, man. They kind of got the fraud run. They caught LSU without a head coach. And then they caught Johnny Davis on a bum ankle. And then Chucky Hepburn misses the whole second half. Yeah, that was it's tough. Time for, it, the U is back. The U is back. Minus two and a half. Bet of the year. I have no I, – I don't know. I don't know if I want to bet this. Put my heart on money on this game. I think oh. that uh, – I think that Miami has a much better guard play. Tyrus Hunter has been really good this season, but I think Miami has a much better guard play. And I don't think Iowa State has the front court to – well, I mean, it didn't matter with Auburn, but I don't think they have the front court to – take advantage there. So give me the games. I don't know. I got burned on Wisconsin pretty badly. So that's just like going against Iowa State again. Is that going to give me PTSD? <laughs> Probably, but that's okay. We always fight that. We always fight. Isaiah Brockington, man, he's he's been one of the most underrated players. But, yeah, they, caught, they did catch LSU without a head coach. Hunter went off that game too, and he's Hunter was seven eleven from three. He's a really good player. He's a great basketball player. And then Gabe, I, I don't never can never how you Kausher Kausher Minnesota legend <laughs> NCAA tournament Gabe. Yeah, going from Minnesota to Iowa State. Wow, what a what a great choice that was. And then yeah. Caleb Brill, Caleb Brill, UNLV legend. Iowa State to UNLV back to Iowa State. I'm pretty sure if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's that's him. But oh boy. That's the last game on Friday before the Elite Eight. So that's gonna be All right. coaching search time. Yeah, time for the hot search. seat. Time for the hot seat. I feel like all the mid-majors that made the NCAA tournament, uh, they all good for them for making the tournament, but most of them lost their coaches, Nate. Chris Jans was gone from New Mexico State like eight hours after the Aggies got eliminated. 
That seems like tampering. <laughs> well, Seaton's well, Kevin Willard had the Maryland job while he was coaching the first round of NCAA tournament game against TCU. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and then Chris Jans got the job with Mississippi State the day after he won against UConn. Yep. So, but I think that's a great fit for Mississippi State. I really do. Chris yeah. Jans, um, no team would touch Chris Jans before because he smacked a woman's ass in the bar of Bowling Green. But if you can look past that, and he's a, he's a program builder, great defensive coach, his players love him. He's kind of like has the Nate Oates effect where he's a little bit crazy, but like not over the top crazy. And I think you need to be that with a with a college basketball coach. Good recruiter. Got a guy like Teddy Allen to come to Las Cruces, New Mexico, which is pretty impressive. Starkville isn't because I've never been there, but doesn't seem like the greatest place to live. So you need a guy that can find diamonds in the rest and gems, and Christians can do that. Here's Austin shitting on Las Cruces, Mexico, and Starkville, Mississippi. That's just the truth, man. It's just a reality of the situation. All right. I've never been to Starkville either, so I can't say anything as well. Uh, I thought that was a great hire. I thought my favorite hire was Florida getting Todd Golden. Really pissed about that, to be honest, as a Missouri student, a Missouri fan. I really wanted Todd Golden to be Missouri's head coach. Todd Golden is going to an SEC rival and being their head coach. I'm angry. I think he's going to kill it at Florida. I do too. I think they're going to be in a final four in five years. The only thing I worry about Golden there, he doesn't really have Southern ties. Uh, He was an assistant at Auburn, I believe it was. Oh, he was? Yeah. He's he's coached in the SEC before, so it's not like a – Yeah, he was an assistant at Auburn from 2014 to 2016. So I think he's going to kill it at uh, Florida. Then Dennis Gates to your Missouri Tigers. What do you think? Kind of love it. Uh, I think that Missouri fans, they're, I don't know how nationally how loud they are, but they're a loud fan base to be. Uh, Not like some of the others, like just. power programs, but Missouri is a loud fan base and they like to voice their opinions a lot. They did not like the hire of Dennis Gates at initially. Uh, I think some of that has to do with Conzo Martin because Dennis Gates is kind of a similar style coach to where he's going to have his teams play defense and the offense can go away at times. It comes from kind of that Florida State mold where it's built on long defensive pressure, keep your opponents out of the lane. And I think Missouri fans really wanted someone who was going to push the pace, get up and down the floor and be exciting. doesn't matter how you win basketball games. If you win basketball games, they will come. And Dennis Gates turned a 10-win program at Cleveland State and made them Horizon League champs and league and tournament champs in a year. And then he won the Horizon League again this season. I think it's going to be fine. I think it's going to be a good hire. I'm ready for them to attack the transfer portal because every day – when I have nothing to do, it's on Twitter looking at the transfer portal and seeing who the hell would like to come to Columbia, Missouri. Yeah, it's getting get people are gonna keep uh, transfer portal is gonna get bigger and bigger. Then what other hires? Then we had Kevin Willer going to Maryland. I think it's an interesting one. I think it, it's some kind of a lateral move going from Mark Turgeon to Kevin Willard. He built he did build St. Seton Hall. They're a lot the laughing stock of the Big East. Made him to a competent tournament team. But is Kevin Willard a guy that can win Big Ten championships at Maryland? Because that's the expectation there in College Park. I think he is. I think his playoff, I think his uh player development has really just like he's really good at that. Miles Powell became an all-American under him. Isaiah, Isaiah Whitehead went from a four-star recruit who was kind of erratic to a guy who was winning Big East Tournament Most Valuable Player. I agree with you that he kind of took Seton Hall to what I think was the brink of just like their ceiling at this point. Uh, but I think it was a really good hire for Maryland. I really They were going after him or Andy Enfield. Uh, Andy Enfield obviously signed an extension at USC. Uh, I like the hire for the Terrapins. He knows the area well. It's going to be – I think it's a good fit. 
Will Maryland fans tear him a new one? When, and we're talking about loud fan bases. Will they tear him a new one if he starts five and six next year? Absolutely. But I don't think that's going to happen. Man. Who else? What other coaching uh, hires that you want to talk about? Uh, the big one to me, that big, was Matt McMahon going to LSU. I was pretty surprised that they were able to reel in as such a coveted coaching candidate, given the almost surely NCA sanctions that are about to be put down in Baton Rouge. So for them to do that for a guy who's developed talent in NCA tournaments, I think that was a really good hire for LSU. Yeah. Oh yeah. I thought that was good too. Um, LSU. I wonder what's going to really happen with them. Like to what extent are they going to get, what Oklahoma is it just going to be a one-year tournament ban? Or are they going to get killed on scholarship, recruiting visits, and all that thrown at them as well? They have like seven level one violations. I don't know if it's going to be good. So I think it's going to, I think it's going to be bad. Uh, and then the last one we didn't talk about was Lamont Paris going to South Carolina. South Carolina was kind of swinging for the fence with everyone, and I think they settled on a pretty good coach. Uh, Lamont Paris did good things at Chattanooga. I thought the SEC, besides the hiring of Mike White, which was meh, but I thought the SEC did a nice job of hiring a decent crop of, co- crop of coaches. Yep. Well, that's our kind of NCAA tournament preview, co- um, coaching carousel roundup. Hopefully, we'll, we'll we'll get we'll we'll um, get you. We'll try to hop on before the lead eight after the Sweet 16, and can enjoy some more March basketball, Nate. Looking forward to it. got a lot done in 50 minutes. (laughs) So, until then, we'll talk to you then. Enjoy March. We're not going to sleep much. And we'll see see you guys on Saturday.